0: Move Forward Radio is brought to you by ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com.
1: Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Reese. What do you do when a complication during delivery starves your newborn son's brain of oxygen, sending him to the NICU for emergency action before you've even had a chance to hold him? How do you deal with multiple days of uncertainty about the extent of the damage, multiple weeks before you finally can bring your infant home and multiple years of therapies to ensure that your little boy hits developmental milestones and can fully live the life he deserves? If your parents, Vanessa and Dorian Starkey, you respond with faith, hope and determination every step of the way. If your physical therapist, Anna Howard, you and your care team, shepherd little Eli Starkey, through a damage arresting cooling procedure, help him develop the skills he'll need beyond the NICU, and work with Vanessa and Dorian over the course of six years on things like Eli's balance, coordination, fine motor skills, communication abilities, and muscle strength. Oh, and if you're Eli himself, you respond to all the adversity with determination and a big smile. You don't accept barriers because your mom and dad have assured you that you can do anything you set your mind to do, and because Miss Anna and your care team have set you up for success. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, Vanessa, Dorian, and Anna share the inspiring story of a once endangered infant whose initial silence raised alarm bells, but who's grown up to become a chatty and energetic kid whose future is bright. Here's our conversation. So uh, Vanessa, uh, Dorian, and Anna, uh, thanks for joining us on Move Forward Radio to to share Eli's uh, amazing story. Uh, Vanessa, uh, six years ago, a complication occurred as you were delivering your son, and he had to be transported to another hospital. You didn't even get a chance to hold him for several days, and it must have been extremely upsetting and disorienting. So can you take us from delivery day to when you were finally able to hold your son and sort of what you and Dorian were were going through during that period?
2: Uh, It was uh, July 10th of 2014. Um, I was full term, so they were like, we're ready to go ahead and get you know, Eli born. Mm-hmm. Contraction started, you know, we got to 10 centimeters, started pushing. And at that point, when all the nurses and doctors rushed in, I knew something wasn't right. And, you know, you're expecting to hear that first cry whenever we are born. And we didn't hear anything, you know, so we're like, what's going on? Something's not right. So at that point, they tell us he's not breathing. He's showing signs of seizures. Um, he had to be rushed to the NICU and then at that point we got to see him for a short minute, you know, and it's not a sight you want to see, you know. Seeing him hooked up to everything, just laying there lifeless. He was having seizures and they told us we're gonna have to rush him immediately to a nearby hospital where they have life saving equipment to save his life. So we were like, you know, yeah, all for it, do it.
1: Right.
2: And at that point we just had so many questions for the doctors, we didn't know where to turn to. Of course we had almost the whole section of that maternity ward was covered in our family. You know, they were so excited to finally get to meet him. The day we were discharged from the hospital, you know, leaving without your child, it's its a feeling you'll never forget. Um, we were lost, sad, overwhelmed, you know, ready, just ready to go see Eli.
3: Uh, yeah, I was uh, in the delivery room as well as uh, Vanessa's mother. And as far as I knew, everything was going fine. And when he was born, uh, he came out like Vanessa said. There was no crying, there was no sound. Uh, he looked, he looked bad. Uh, and they came in and, and 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 grabbed him and took him to another room. And the nurses told me, "Don't worry about it. This happens all the time. This is very normal. We're gonna take him into another room and get him checked out. You guys just relax. We'll have him back to you soon." But I knew something was wrong. Yeah. I went back into the waiting. I went back into the waiting room with my dad and and Vanessa's grandfather and. And I told him, I said, something, something's wrong. Right. Something's not right. And uh, that's when they came and got us and brought us into the little room where he was at and, and like Vanessa said, told us they were taking him to, to uh, Baton Rouge, to the NICU of Baton Rouge General. And uh, we got to see him for a few minutes, and he was having seizures, and it's just, it, was, it was just scary, really scary, you know. Uh, you go into a hospital to have your child, and you know, you know, it never crosses your mind. It never crossed my mind that something bad could go wrong, you know. <laughs>
1: Of course. Was it was it was it comforting to have family there, or was it just kind of disorienting because they're all having to go through the same things you're going through?
2: It's both. Um, yeah. You know, everybody whenever they saw me walk out that NICU at, at that hospital, and we didn't have them in our arms, and everybody just you know, they their heads immediately dropped, and most people walked off because they can't handle that. You know.
1: Right. So, so, Anna, I want to bring you into it now. Um, Eli was rushed to the NICU at, at Baton Rouge uh, General Hospital, where, where you work for a, for a treatment that's called a whole body cooling protocol that reduces the infant's body temperature and then slowly warms it back up over a period of uh, 72 hours. Uh, tell me, Anna, what's the procedure designed to do? And also, uh, how big a drop in body temperature are we talking about?
4: Um, So whole body cooling is also essentially um, hypothermia. And so while most people have not heard of body cooling as like a therapy, um, especially to treat a baby, many people have heard of stories of people who had like better outcomes and better survivals after say falling through a lake, you know, an icy lake and being in that cold water and how that has almost like a preservative effect for those types of injuries. So really overall, if you just simplify what we're talking about when we say whole body cooling, it's essentially the equivalent of icing a new injury, you know, when they tell you to put ice on it because you've hurt something. The body, you know, immediately tries to repair any damage, um, whether it's big or small, regardless if it's a cut or a torn muscle or, you know, a lack of oxygen to the brain, our body responds. It it literally sends in this cavalry of like repair, um, which is very well-meaning, but it can also be, you know, a little problematic (laughs) depending on how extensive the response is. And so if you think about, you know, like a turned ankle, how red and how swollen it can become. Some of that damage is because the tissue itself is actually damaged and bleeding. And some of it's because of the, the army of cells that are showing up to try to fix and repair it. When you're talking about a brain inside of a head or a skull, there's just really not room for that kind of swelling to happen and not be problematic or more detrimental. So we don't really want that exaggerated response. Cooling essentially allows the body's response to kind of be diminished a little bit and slowed down a little bit, which ultimately the research has shown, you know, protects the brain and protects those cells, which um, brain cells, once they're gone, they're just kind of gone. You can't really get them back. Um, It's not regenerative tissue. So it's really important that we try to minimize any kind of damage that might happen. So body cooling, it's actually been around for several decades, but in adults, And really, they started using this kind of approach when they saw the benefits it was having with um, adult patients that had had a lack of oxygen as part of their injury. They said, well, let's try this on on babies since we know this is something that can happen. Mm -hmm. And that started around 2005. And just for a little background, the brain is actually always a few degrees cooler than the whole rest of the body. And that's because it's so active all the time, like it has to be a little bit cooler to stay what we call metabolically efficient. And we also know how detrimental overheating can be to the brain. We've seen that with heat strokes and what have you. So they thought it has to be better to try to cool something um, to improve that process in the time of injury or insult. So um, over the last decade, really from 2005 sort of to 2012, we really sort of fine-tuned how we could use this for newborn babies, and it's really turned out to be a very, very effective management option. So there's a super specific uh, list of criteria that have to be met in order for the infant to even qualify for this type of intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do absolutely have to start it within six hours of life, or we just know that the outcomes are not the same. Mm-hmm. And it is a total of seven to hours in that hypothermic state, and your body temperature typically is somewhere between ninety-seven and ninety-eight degrees Fahrenheit. And the goal of body cooling is actually to get the body down to about 92 degrees of Fahrenheit, 92.3 actually is the protocol. It's a five to six degree total drop, but we're talking like the whole body or your insides to out being cooled to that temperature. And that's a, a moderate degree of hypothermia. So not severe where you'd be getting skin changes and things like that.
1: I wanted to ask you how, how prevalent is this protocol? And, and were, were Starkey's fortunate to be near somewhere where they would have access
4: to it immediately? Oh, absolutely. The last literature that I looked at was about one in a thousand live births or roughly 16,000 per year. And that those numbers are that's about 2012 numbers. So it could be more prevalent than that. It's prevalent enough. Uh, we have two facilities in our area of the three delivering hospitals. We have two that actually deliver this particular protocol because we, we do experience it. We do have this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, yeah, like um, Vanessa and Dorian said, he was super close. Uh, we're about a half an hour away. So our transport team was literally able to go grab him and have him back to us within about an hour and a half time, mm-hmm. which um, really helped us make that six hour deadline so that he could in fact still qualify for the, for the treatment. So he was right. very lucky to be In as close a proximity as he was.
1: Sure. So, Vanessa and Dorian, I mean, 72 hours. (laughs) That's an incredibly long time to wait, uh, not knowing the extent of the damage your son's brain may have sustained due to lack of oxygen and and, and blood flow. What was happening during that period in terms of your ability to be with and observe Eli, and, and what kinds of information were you receiving at that early stage?
3: Well, after Eli was born, of course, Vanessa was uh, not allowed to discharge from the hospital for a couple of days. So that was tough mm-hmm. and we didn't really get a whole lot of information about what was going on during that time when she was finally discharged. Of course, the first thing we did was, was uh, get her home and change clothes and we went directly to Baton Rouge General to go see Eli. And that's when we got there, they kind of told us about the, uh, the process that Miss Anna was just telling you about. And, and that, that they'd had a lot of success with it in the past with some other kids and They explained it to us and we just, uh, there was a lot of prayer. We were able to go see him every day for a a limited amount of time. And we, it was, it was, I forget how many days it was before we actually held him. It was tough, Eric. It was tough. It it must've been. Vanessa, can you talk about that period a little bit?
2: You know, when you're sitting at home and you're waiting Mm -hmm. to hear anything good or bad and that neurologist, or I don't remember who who exactly it was that called to tell us, we're not seeing brain activity. So, you know, hearing that, you just want to drop the phone and just go get them. And, you know, a couple of days will pass by and then they'll call back and say, oh, we've seen a little more brain activity. So we're thinking, oh my God, we're going to stay hopeful.
1: Yeah. So, so Anna, um, the care team of which you were a part started working with Eli when he was just three days old and he was still in the NICU. So I wanted to ask you, what were your priorities as a physical therapist at that point? And, and also just what types of things can physical therapy help with when an infant is that young?
4: PT and the NICU is certainly not what most of us think of when we think of, of physical therapy um, in a traditional sense. And so first and foremost, our families are our customers absolutely as much as our infants are. They require a lot of educating on, on the equipment and what's going on in the unit and why we do things a certain way and why we have the restrictions that we have. And it's it's really to you know create the most safe and, and nurturing environment for their babies. But Most people have never been in a NICU. And so there's a lot of education that that goes on there. Plus the parents can be at that bedside pretty much all day. And, you know, as a therapist, I'm only able to be there for certain amounts of time. So that education piece is huge. So that's a primary role for for therapists in in our NICU. Mm -hmm. And then my role for Eli's case was was basically try to reset his system that had been traumatized at birth. Um, And so my goal was to reboot. We are born with a number of hardwired reflexes. In our brain, just like when you purchase a computer, you have certain hardware or software that's already there that allows the computer to function. Our brains are essentially the same way. We, we come standard loaded with certain reflexes that in the face of trauma can get derailed and can become um, disorganized and dysfunctional. So those reflexes are there for a reason. They either protect us or they help us communicate, or they are responsible for leading to maybe the something that's coming next, but it has to be there first in order for that next step to happen. It's actually a really complicated and and delicate process. Eli had already had a history of seizures from birth because of the lack of oxygen, and he actually was having those seizures through that cooling process. So his brain was just having these little repeated traumas that we were having to get ready to manage. Something else that's a little tricky in his history is that because of the delivery and how long he was trapped in the birth canal, um, in order to get him out, he also suffered an Mm -hmm. arm injury that's called a brachial plexus injury. So we had that additional complication to manage or to keep in mind as we were figuring out his treatment plan. So we were focused on facilitating the presence of those um, initial hardwired reflexes, reestablishing the flexion posture that he had in the womb, because you kind of lose that when you Go through the the birth that he did. He kind of got sort of loose and flat to the table, and just wasn't able to really move his body through gravity. Um, so we had to address recreating that flexion posture and then helping him re- uh, learn how to re- regulate his system and his states, like his sleep cycles, his calming abilities.
1: I guess we should mention here that subsequent brain scans did did begin to show progressive. Absolutely,
4: improvement as well. absolutely. Which also did you know our our care plan changes. Literally on the hour um, sometimes for these babies in the NICU and sometimes it's day to day, but we're constantly looking to see what's available to us and what the infant is communicating to us and how their system is responding to things. And then it's our job to try to create more normal expressions of what it is their body is trying to show us. And then in addition to that, we were also rehabbing the nerves and they function in his arms so that when he did get out of the NICU, we were in a good place to start development. So very specialized, very um, tailored to each kid's individual uh, presentation and needs. Well, and, and Eli
1: was in, uh, in the NICU for, for uh, 31 days. So, so what, what were your goals? What were you trying to get him toward when by the time that he could be brought home?
4: basically keeping it together from a regulatory standpoint. So um, one of the things that happens when you have Eli's diagnosis, which I'm not even sure we've mentioned, he, um, he had a hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, which is a, a lack of oxygen that caused um, damage to the brain. And truly we are at discharge trying to make sure that the baby is getting a sleep-wake cycle, um, able to organize themselves enough to take a bottle or breastfeed um, to be able to smoothly transition from a, like a sleep state into a more awake state. And once they are awake, regulating that degree of awakeness to a point where they can engage with mom's face or, you know, grab onto dad's hand, those sorts of things, because sometimes they're in there for a month, sometimes they're in there for seven days, sometimes they're in there for three months. And so discharge goals are extremely fluid um, in those circumstances.
0: A quick break to encourage you to move. Physical activity is associated with a reduced risk of chronic disease, not to mention improved bone health, cognitive function, weight control, and overall quality of life. Simply put, more movement is the gateway to better health. Need some help to get going? Physical therapists are movement experts who use exercise, hands-on care, and patient education to help you meet your goals. You can contact a PT directly for an evaluation. Learn more and find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com.
1: So, Vanessa and Dorian, um, finally this glorious day comes when you can actually bring your son home. But uh, you must have had a lot of instructions from the medical team, and and you knew that Eli's journey really was, in in a sense, just beginning. So what were you feeling at that time? Overwhelmed, determined, optimistic, all the above?
2: Yeah, all of the above. Um, We got to actually stay the night before he was discharged. And they were like, make sure you wake them up to feed them. And that was, (laughs) we didn't know what we had coming until we woke them up. And, um, you know, I didn't get that chance to start from whenever he was first born to get to learn all that, getting to spend time with him in the NICU, him hooked up to everything, you know, and one wrong move, a little sound would go off and you'd be like, Oh, what did I do wrong? And they're like, Oh, you're fine. And
3: yeah, Eli was our, our first child and. Like she said, she didn't get the bond with him from the time he was born. We had to wait thirty one days. And by the time we brought him home, uh, I think it was more of an adjustment for him because there were so many little noises and beeps and stuff like that in the NICU that he had gotten used to right. And all of a sudden he's taken away from that and he's home with us, and it's it's just absolutely quiet. yeah, yeah, and I think I think that was an adjustment for him. he He cried a lot and he he was uh, unfamiliar with his surroundings where he was familiar with the NICU. he wasn't familiar. Right, with, with being home with uh, with with me and Vanessa. Right. But after a week or so, he, he after a week or so, he adjusted and things really got a lot better after that. But right. And a, we had a
2: lot of doctors' appointments. <laughs> I think right, that right. same week we were seeing Miss Anna and everyone at the Baton Rouge General. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Yeah, you must have gotten very well known to people.
2: Yes, I'm there every week, so every, I know everyone's name and face. Every well, week for well, and, and, I, and I want to
1: talk yeah. about that. So, so, so now we're, it, it, we're, we're six years later, and it, it's, it's amazing what Eli can do now. Uh, I, I watched a, a recent video from a local TV station that showed him uh, swatting the heck out of a pitched ball with a bat. So, uh, Vanessa and Dorian, uh, considering that you were told early on that your son had sustained significant brain damage and that he might not ever even walk, it's pretty remarkable what he's achieved, uh, the level of physical ability and hand-eye coordination just to, to do something like that, to, 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 to hit a pitched ball. And, and Eli looked so happy in the, in the clip that I saw. But obviously none of that happened overnight. So um, Anna, you and other members of Eli's care team, including occupational and, and speech therapists, worked really hard with Eli over the past six years on things like balance, coordination, fine motor skills, uh, communication, and speech. Can you talk a little bit about that years-long process, the, the goals you were setting, and, and, and the keys to uh, Eli's successful progression of, over the past six years?
4: Sure. So, you know, with kids, the goals are absolutely ever-changing and morphing as the kiddo moves through their ages and stages. Um, in early infancy, sort of like I had said, we really had to focus on helping his brain sort of heal and regulate and learn how to, to do some things that maybe those parts of the brain hadn't intended to do. But, you know, it's our job and our goal to try to get the brain to function in a timeline and progression as possible. So we start again with those early reflexes, and then we make sure that those reflexes transition into our more grown-up reflexes, like learning how to protect ourselves with our hands if we fall, correct our head if we start to, you know, tip over, how do we regain that balance? We also had to focus on Managing how his brain was was communicating to his muscles because that absolutely affects how our skeleton develops. And so we had to make sure that we moved from that return to a flexion posture into our more gravity-dependent upright postures because, honestly, that's where we spend the majority of our time is, is upright and hopefully walking. Um, We also really have to focus in that early, early period when the brain is in this super rapid development and deciding what's important to keep and what we can prune off. Um, We really have to minimize the loss of brain tissue from not moving affected parts. So we, we really gear in towards making sure that we don't have the whole use it or lose it principle take over the, the treatment plan. We want to keep everything we can and make everything as functional as possible. And sometimes that means training the parts of the brain that are undamaged to do things maybe they weren't intended to do. But that's the beauty of starting early with children is that period of plasticity and, Ability to mold the brain um, and make it do things that it might not otherwise do is is why physical therapy in those early years is so critical and so widely recognized.
1: Can you give um, an example, maybe, of how, how you employ that flexibleness?
4: Sure. Okay. So uh, just because Eli actually ha- happens to have a, an extra example, I mentioned that he had had the arm injury from birth, where the all of the nerve highway from from the spine to the hand was disrupted, as he was unceremoniously extracted into this world, right. you know the nerves got damaged. And in the brain, because we are absolutely driven towards being as metabolically efficient as possible, if we were to ignore that arm, the child can't move it on his own. If we don't move it for him and pay attention to him and show him that it has value, the brain will literally start to prune the cells responsible for that arm away because they're not serving a valued function. And so our brain will literally get rid of those cells and and reabsorb them and deem that they're not necessary. And so that's the whole use it or lose it sort of principle is that, you know, if we don't show that this part of the brain is just as important as another part that maybe is getting more frequent um, activity and more frequent registration It will literally go away, and once it goes away, we can't just recreate those cells and say, hey, by the way, we have a right arm over here, we'd like to start using it now. We have to make sure that that happens when this period of development is going on, or we we miss the boat, and then we set the child up for a complication that could have been avoided. And then a skeleton is another piece. I mean, a child's skeleton goes through so many changes the first seven years of life, from being balled up in a belly to being upright and on two feet and able to to balance a head on, on top of all of that. So their skeletal development is crucial. And anytime you have muscles that are acting differently or asymmetrically, you're going to get bone development that is asymmetrical, which can set a child up for you know lifelong disabilities and pain. So Eli started out as twice a week um, for, for those first three years where we were going through that really, really important brain pruning and brain development process. Um, and then he dropped down to once a week, once he became school-aged, because then he could also get services at school. Right. And that saved Vanessa an extra trip you know, yeah. to Baton Rouge every week. Mm-hmm. And now that he's approaching seven years old, Um, he is really doing a lot of the things that all of his friends are doing. He, he likes to play sports. He runs, he jumps, he's mastering jungle gyms. He's got a new one in his backyard that he loves to play on. Um, and he does have a few skeletal issues that we were able to minimize, but we've got good plans in place and he's got a little bit more to go, but he has done beautifully across this process. And as for the keys to his success, uh, hands down, Vanessa and Dorian have set him up for, exactly what he needs in this life. They always believed he could or would do anything and everything. They always had expectations for him and helped him along the way and always told him, you know, try it. No, it might not be successful, but try it. You can try anything. You can do everything.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: And supporting him, not just in his successes, but also when he was challenged and being like, you know, it's okay. If you didn't get it the first time, let's try it again. And and never letting him feel defeated. And even when he did, just supporting him through that process so he felt safe to fail and safe to try. So I would have to say yay for Vanessa and and being the poster parents for what early intervention should look like. And then also for their just incredible trust in us as providers and, and trusting us with their baby boy across the years and buying into the information that we were not really selling, but selling per se, like if you put this work in, we, we can tell you that these are the outcomes that you can achieve. So the keys to success are, are that family, for mm-hmm. sure.
1: Well, and, and, and jumping on what you were saying about Eli, I mean, just from watching that short video, it was immediately apparent to me that Eli is anything but passive in terms of participating <laughs> in his own progress. Yeah. So, um, uh, Vanessa and Dorian, uh, how early on did you kind of see evidence of, of Eli's determination and this sort of refusal to accept limits on his abilities?
3: Well, uh, he, first of all, Eli, is just a, he's a happy child. He's been happy from the day he was born, uh-huh. from the day we brought him home. He's always smiling. He's always laughing. Everybody loves to be around him. Every once in a while, he gets frustrated because he's trying to do something and he can't really do it. But that's rare. He's just a good kid. He's just a good kid. And I want to give credit to Miss Anna and her people. Uh, she built up a trust with Vanessa very early on, and Vanessa would come home and she said, "I love Miss Anna." She said, I asked her a question? <laughs> Thanks. She God. said, and she explained it to me in a way that I can understand. And she said, "I just absolutely love her." She said, "I'm so glad that Eli's with her," and the results speak for themselves. You know, what I mean, yeah. Vanessa has been diligent in bringing Eli every week. I mean, if there's if there's a reason she shouldn't go, I have to talk her out of bringing him. You know? <laughs> she's that she's that she's that determined, and that's that's made it. Miss Anna told us when we first started going there, she said, if you bring Eli here, you'll see results, and if you don't, you won't. Yeah. And we, we we've taken that to heart. Yeah. The yeah. results speak for themselves. I mean, it's just this, its amazing. You know, it's yeah. amazing the, the <laughs> progress he's made.
1: Uh, Vanessa, why why did why did you feel like so inherently like you 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 trusted Anna and you established this relationship with her that's been so uh, integral to your your son's progress?
2: Well, I did not know what to do. You know, in a situation like that, you're like, I'm going to trust a professional doctor or nurse's opinion over my mom or my dad because they have the mom and dad instincts. And whenever something like that happens, I'm going to trust someone who's higher up to help us. You know, get Eli better and take their opinion. And you know, we did a bunch of trial and errors. You know, we anything they threw at me, I was on it. We tried everything because you never knew if it was going to work or not. And right, right. I put everything into Ms. Anna and everyone that was. They were really trying to help Eli, and it meant a lot to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Vanessa and Dorian, were there, were there ways in which your son surprised even you in things that he was able to do maybe earlier than you thought
3: he would be able to do or possibly thought that maybe he might struggle with? I honestly didn't know what he was going to be able to do. We, we really had no idea. I didn't know, like you said earlier on, if he would be able to walk, if he would be able to talk, play with other kids. We did, I didn't know what he was going to be able to do. So every one of those steps that he reached was very rewarding, to, mm-hmm. to say the least, you know. We didn't know how he was going to do in school. He's making straight A's. He's in first grade.
2: We would set goals. Like the therapist would say, let's try and get him to say at least 10 words. And, you know, we're thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be so hard, 10 words. And then it got to 50 words and 100 words. And now he talks all the time. You can't get him to keep quiet. (laughs) So
4: It is very rewarding. It really is.
3: (laughs) True. (laughs) We're in, we're in bed at night trying to go to sleep and he's talking and I'm like, son, who are you talking to? And he's talking about <laughs> some football game that he watched that night. Maybe it's a little bit be careful what you wish for.
4: Exactly.
1: Right, right, right,
3: yeah.
4: Well,
2: some parents would say, you, you know, you want them to talk and talk and then whenever they get to a certain point, you want them to be quiet. But in our case, you know, we, we want him to talk as much yeah. as he could. Yeah,
1: yeah. 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 Um, and I imagine a lot of it, too. Uh, Anna and Dorian is 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 just you want to make sure that he's uh, he keeps moving. But it sounds like he's got a good sense of fun, so it sounds like keeping him moving probably isn't that much that much of a problem.
4: No. <laughs> no. No, no, that's not a problem at all. <laughs> So,
1: so Anna, you, you had mentioned uh, earlier. You had just made reference to that you're still working on some things. What what kinds of things are you working on still with with Eli? And what kinds of challenges does he uh, does he still face? So
4: he's he's really close to being discharged from physical therapy um, until until you know something else comes up and you might need me again. But he is. Like this year, for example, he finally has gained the ability to stand on his right leg, which he learned how to stand on his left leg first because it's his less affected leg. But getting gains on the right side has always been one of our challenges that we've addressed. And the light bulb finally came on after a lot of practice. He started being able to stand on that right foot. And then um, I guess midsummer, he figured out how to jump on that right foot. And now we are hopping consecutively on that right foot. And because he was able to gain that right foot hop, he can skip. So now when they're doing school plays and and playground activities and stuff and his peers are skipping, he is now able to skip just like the rest of the kids, which is a big deal when it comes to uh, participation and things like that. And a lot of it is due to all the groundwork that we've laid and also just because of where he is, again, in his stages and ages he, six-year-olds are really, that's, that's kind of the age where kids really start to appreciate how their body is and more specifically how their body is or isn't compared to their ears. Right. And so I can have him look in a mirror now and really use that visual feedback and he can make sense of it. And he can say, oh yeah, that my hip is too high or my foot is too low, or I'm turning my leg in. And, you know, I can say, what's going on with your leg? And he can like, look at it and like, Instead of me always telling him, he is now starting to be able to tell me and try to make those corrections on his own, which just empowers the brain to um, rehab even that much faster because the changes are occurring internally and not externally, you know? So, So we're working on really higher level coordination skills, higher level functional skills so that when he leaves me, he is essentially ready to do whatever the heck he decides to put his mind to. We'll have some some long term things to consider. He does, like I said, have a little bit of limitation in his right hand and right arm, uh, which he uses very well, but it's certainly not as adept as his left. And his right leg is a little shorter than his left leg because of the differences in the muscle activity over the course of the years. But we have it managed with a, a shoe lift, and it has been shrinking over the years. So hopefully, after this next growth spurt, he he may not need one again. You know, mm-hmm. we'll just have to look at him and then and see. Mm-hmm. Physical therapy for kids, like I said, is just so different. We really hit it hard, birth to three. We adjust as needed for, you know, three to roughly seven or so years old if they still actually need therapy through that time frame. And then after that, it really becomes episodic in nature. You know, if he has a growth spurt and, you know, some kids can grow up to three inches in a year. And that's that's a big change in height and weight sure. and your arms and things like that. So sometimes those kids, after a big growth spurt or a weight gain, their bones and muscles may not have grown fairly symmetrically or at the same rate. So we may have new range of motion issues to consider. Sometimes they just outgrow their mechanical ability for a few weeks until their body can catch up. And so oftentimes we see these kids on kind of like a routine maintenance basis in the sense that like, you know, after a growth spurt, we might see you for three to six months or maybe a couple of weeks. Anna, mm.
1: there are physical therapists in, in the school system, too, but what is the situation, and I wanted to ask this to Vanessa and Dorian, too, what is the situation with, uh, with school right now, given that uh, so many uh, school systems are, are, have gone virtual?
4: Well, really, so in our state right now, our kids have been back in a variety of situations. So we have some schools, particularly privately owned schools, that are in person for the most part. Some schools are hybrid, so they're half school days, half virtual days, and they're like alternating the population. So like you might be a Monday-Wednesday kid in virtual the other days or a Tuesday-Thursday kid in virtual the other days. Some schools are cleaning everything on Fridays, some on Wednesdays. So it's some kids are still all virtual. So it's, you know, every kid's situation is a little bit different right now. And the school therapists, if they're seeing children at the schools, then they are doing their regular, their regular gig, all masked up and following the social distancing protocols and what have you, but still providing services at school whenever possible, because that is what closely matches their educational program that we're bound to. And then for the kids that are virtual who can't get services for some reason, our school therapists are doing telehealth therapy sessions just like we were all doing at the beginning of the pandemic when no one was going anywhere. Right. Um, we just all transitioned to to telehealth wherever that was the physically appropriate thing to do and really only saw kids in clinic that couldn't uh, be managed I- in a virtual situation. So, and that was very few.
3: Mm-hmm. We're, we're fortunate too, the school that Eli goes to, um, if you fall under a certain age, you're allowed to go every day, and he's he's within that age. Oh, level. good. So he goes every, he goes every day. Oh, great.
1: So uh, last question, I, I, Vanessa and Dorian, um, just uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, where Eli is now, sort of what your expectations and your hopes and and your your dreams for him are.
3: Well, Eli is um, he, like I said, he's in first grade. He's doing very well in school. He's a happy kid. Um, we just want to be happy, you know. We 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 we're not sure. We people ask him all the time, "What does he What does he want to be when he grows up?" And he always says he wants to be a truck driver. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but um, he, he like I said, we're so thankful to Miss Anna and everybody, the, the therapists at school that work with him. The, the results have been incredible, um, and we're so thankful for that. And just we just want him to be happy, whatever wherever his future takes him. We'll support him one hundred percent, like we always have, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, just we'll see what happens. We're, we're, we're very uh, – we're excited. We're excited about his future and where it takes him. Optimistic.
2: <laughs> we, um, you know, we never lost hope. We uh, never wanted Eli to be behind, so we stayed on top of it. And mm-hmm. you can see the results, you know. If you are going to be lazy and let the therapist do all the work, you're not going to get the results that I got.
3: Right. All right. A lot of the credit goes to Vanessa. She's she's been phenomenal. Yes, phenomenal. From the day that Miss
2: Anna told me what to do, the goals, even all the therapists, inpatient, outpatient, I took every advice, everything that we could tackle, anything we could try, we tried it, you know, and we never gave up. We never lost hope. Miss Anna and everyone inspired us to do well. And some days were good, some days were bad. My Like I would get into arguments with my mom. She would be like, put him in the walker Uh or put rice cereal or oatmeal Uh in his bottle. Just give it to him. And I'm like, we can't do that. We've got to, you've got to be on top of it. You've got to spoon feed him. You've got to
4: let him learn to crawl. And they, they literally, I mean, like I said, Vanessa and Dorian, anytime we were like, Hey, what do you have access to? Could you do this at home? Can we try this? You know, Mm -hmm. they would just take it and run with it and, um, that, that, again, that is one of the biggest keys to his success is, you know, yeah, it takes a motivated kiddo and a kiddo that's malleable in that way. But if the parents don't make the demands and set the expectation and then follow through with that, I, you know, I'm really good at my job, but I can't fix children once a week or twice a week. You know, I've got to have the care providers that have access to that kiddo and that brain every day. They've got to buy in and they, you know, they got to put the work in. And when they do, the outcomes are truly truly remarkable like i said post your family for what therapy can do for your child you know regardless yeah. of the initial onset you know you you can determine a lot of the outcome it's not just nature it's a whole lot of nurture
0: too
1: well I'm, uh, vanessa dorian uh and anna um all the best to uh to eli and, and and all the best to you thanks so much for joining us on move forward
0: radio
4: thank you thank you, thank you, thank you eric, eric. Really appreciate we appreciate it. your Come time on.
0: Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Or find previous episodes at ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com.